It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al, Zane, and Brian. What is up, 49ers faithful? We are back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast on the Odyssey Network. And we have got a special treat for you today. We've got a guest host with me today. Al and Brian are on vacation, so we got a guest host, Rohan Chakravarti, man, from 49ers Web Zone. Bro, like, it's it's awesome to have you on. You and I have been talking for a while about this, and, and it's finally great to get you on here, man. Thanks so much for jumping on with me today. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me on. Obviously, no huddle, the, the staple of the 49ers Web Zone platform. So glad to be on, glad to be a guest, and uh, glad to share the platform with you today. Awesome, man. And, you know, before we start here, um, can you kind of give us a little bit of background on like how you got into this and like the web zone and stuff? We know this, uh, you know, Al, Brian and I know this already, but for our listeners who may not know this, um, you can just give a rundown of like how you got into it and like, you know, what you're doing now with uh, the, the Badgers and all that stuff as well. Yeah, no. So I started as a writer uh, for 49ers Web Zone in 2021 just after the season ended uh the 20 uh when the 40 owners were looking to select Trey Lance that's when I started um grew a little bit over the summer uh obviously attended training camp this past year done a done a lot of things attended some 40 owners events uh covering the 49ers for the web zone so that's what I do that's kind of my main uh job journalist there but overall uh yeah cover the 49ers host my own podcast with marco martinez the 49ers red zone podcast so for those of you guys that don't know just search up my name on youtube you'll find it there and the other thing i attend school in wisconsin so i cover the wisconsin badgers as well currently am the site manager at wisconsin's sb nation site bucky's fifth quarter that's awesome. I see you uh, posting stuff about the Badgers like every weekend. It's nice because we get the the full sort of spectrum from you, right? On Saturdays, we get like the Badgers yeah. stuff, stuff, and on Sundays, we get the Niners stuff. So if y'all haven't uh, followed Rohan already, you get, you guys definitely need to do that. It's it's a great follow. You break down film as well, which we have talked about too in the past, and I think that we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, I think that you've been doing a lot of great stuff for the web zone and for the Badgers as well. So happy to see your success, man. I mean, like, you know, from – seeing you jump on the scene last year to, to now and, and doing the stuff that you've done to branch out. It's been super awesome to see. So um really happy for where, where you're going and, and really excited for what's to come. So um really yeah. appreciate it, man. Yeah. Obviously you've been in this uh, on the platform, one of the first podcasts out there. So appreciate the kind of words from you. Absolutely, man. So, so as we shift kind of uh, from our love fest here to uh, the love fest for the 49ers, man, and eight straight wins, we didn't get a chance to break down the uh, commander's win due to, to the Christmas holiday. Hope everybody had a safe and, and fun uh, and happy Christmas holiday. But uh, the 49ers racked up another win and an impressive win against the best defense that they arguably have faced to date uh, with that Washington commander's defense, specifically that defensive line. And Brock Purdy passed another test. It's another notch in his belt. And uh, if you, for those of you who are watching on the, on the uh, stream, I'm wearing the Brock Purdy t-shirt um, <laughs> coined by the captain of the Brock Purdy hype train himself, Brian Rennick, who, uh, who is selling these by the way. So contact Brian Rennick uh, if you want one of these, but it's another kind of test that Brock Purdy has passed. And when you have a rookie quarterback and especially a guy who's, who's like Brock Purdy at the end of the draft, you, you have these incremental sort of like, challenges that you wanted to pass and this was another one right and we're not expecting him to be a superstar we're just hoping that he he is able to get through these small little tests and how do you think he did against that Washington defense like what, what was your overall impression of him 
Yeah, I mean, Brock Purdy obviously has flashed in his few games. That's why there's a hype around him. That's why you've got that T-shirt on you right now. It's because there's been that hype train about Brock Purdy. And I think this is, like you said, another test that he passed. Now, every every time Brock Purdy's entered the field, it's not just been ups, right? There has been ups and downs. You have to recognize both sides. But you also have to understand that he's a rookie quarterback. This is his first NFL playing action and understand the importance of what he's been able to do. Once again, Brock Purdy had a pretty solid performance, 15 to 22 passing, 234 yards through the two touchdowns. The biggest thing, I guess the two biggest things, number one, the 49ers offense is set up so that Kyle Shanahan's can scheme open receivers and quarterbacks. The reason that other uh, NFL analysts say that this is one of the easier quarterback jobs is because your job is to hit open receivers, have the aggressiveness, let it rip. And that's something Purdy hasn't been afraid to do. He's let it rip. The one that you saw to George Kittle, that Raider in the cloud could have caught. There's been times where you question whether 49ers quarterbacks would have that uh, uh, the chance or really the willingness to throw that football. That's the difference when you have Brock Purdy. He's a guy who lets it rip. Perhaps it's the rookie mentality in, in him. Perhaps it's the lack of NFL experience. But so, so far, it's benefiting the 49ers. Now, his turnover-worthy plays are pretty high at, at this moment. He he is a guy who has gotten lucky with some dropped interceptions, but when you see the aggressiveness at the moment, when you look at pure statistics, it seems like it's benefiting the 49ers. And the second part, you've got to talk about the athleticism, especially against strong defensive lines like the Washington Commanders. You're going to need to be able to evade the pocket. He doesn't have supreme athleticism. He's not a running quarterback or guy who can necessarily punish teams with his legs, but he's got just enough to create off-schedule plays, and that's another value that the 49ers offense hasn't necessarily had since Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL in 2018. Yeah, I think one of the most impressive plays from Brock Purdy in that game was actually an incompletion. And I think that the one that that you'll probably think about as well is uh, it was a play where they had a free rusher off the edge. It was a blitz. And there was a, I think it was a corner blitz, a slot corner, I believe came. And uh, it, he had a, he had Purdy dead rights and he spun out of it a couple of times and, and kind of maneuvered towards the sideline and threw it away. And it was just like you, you just don't see that out of 49ers quarterbacks, right? right? At yeah. least under Kyle Shanahan, you just haven't seen that. And I think that that was really what was missing. And one of the things that that I look at with the interception worthy plays that you kind of brought up, and in, in my opinion, I think that it is it is an important stat, but it's in a way it's kind of misleading because it's a function of Kyle Shanahan's offense because of the way that it's designed. There's always like you're going to be throwing into traffic, right? You're going to be throwing into tight windows, and I think that that's where you know, that's where Jimmy had thrived, where he was able to throw it into those tight windows. But that's also one of the drawbacks too, is that you have to have a guy that's, that's willing to let it rip into those tight windows. And Jimmy wasn't able to to do that the entire time. Like he would, he would hold back. Right. He would throw behind receivers. He would throw it, he would throw it to the defenders. Like it just like, I feel like, and I, and I think that I'm not alone in saying this, and this is not a slight towards Jimmy or anything like that, but I feel like this offense, at least for this year has not looked as good as it has uh, as as it has under Brock Purdy, like it didn't look like this when Jimmy was playing. It looked disconnected. It, they they often had times moving the ball. It didn't. It looked disjointed, especially after McCaffrey came. And and we were just wondering, like you know, when is this offense going to wake up? And I feel like injecting a new sort of, I guess, ignorant or inexperienced quarterback into the fray like that that has kind of helped them because he doesn't he doesn't know enough to have bad habits. He doesn't know enough to. He's never played in Seattle, for example, right? Like we talked about right. this a couple of weeks ago. Like he doesn't know what it's like to fail up there because he's never played up there, right? Mm-hmm. So he's just he's just a young guy that's just going in for the first time, seeing the stuff for the first time. 
and ignorance is bliss, right? So a lot of what we're seeing here, both the good and the bad, like the turnover worthy plays and also all the, the splash plays that he's making, it's a result of just kind of letting it, letting it go, letting him play. And I feel like Kyle, this is the first time Kyle's had this much confidence in the quarterback since he's been here. I, I don't know. Would you feel the same way? I would say that it's similar. I think so. I, I, I'll say yes, but I'll also give a little bit of pushback. I think the way that the way the way I identify confidence is the way that Kyle Shanahan play calls on or like on regular downs. And I don't know if the play calling has necessarily changed as much. The difference to me has been Purdy has been hitting the throws that Shanahan wants. And a lot of people might say that that's a power dynamic with Shanahan. Maybe he shouldn't just want one throw. But to me, the reason he wants that throw is because on film, that throw is repeatedly open if you throw it and let it rip. And Purdy is willing to do that. And maybe that has opened up a little more for Brock Purdy, which is where I think the confidence has increased. And maybe it also increases the aggressiveness that you might see on from fourth downs. We've seen Kyle Shanahan now go forward on a couple of fourth downs. Obviously, he still has some conservativeness, but he's got forward on a couple of fourth downs, albeit that's where I'll criticize him the most because I think his play calling has been worst on fourth downs. But you can see a increased level of confidence. I just think that it still stems from the same play calling that he had with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's just you might be seeing different results on a certain level of plays, especially on deeper passes. Right, because as as we know, Kyle kind of calls pass plays in like levels. There's a short, medium, and deep, and a deep. And Jimmy would most likely, most of the time, focus on the short or medium and. Right. We see Brock Purdy now focusing on that third level that we, we usually haven't seen before. And and again, like it, it's it's kind of interesting because Jimmy was having his best year yet as a pro until he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those habits that he had in the past, they, they were kind of breaking, he was throwing the ball away, but and and he was hitting he was hitting checkdowns and things like that when things weren't open. But I think that now you add that mobility, like we said, that, that Purdy has to be able to get out of the pocket, like the touchdown, the second touchdown to Kittle where it was just like a simple, it was a naked bootleg across against the grain. And he was able to hit Kittle along the sideline for a first down and basically get it into his hands. And, and Kittle did the rest. Like you just didn't see that before. And I think that there's those little, little small nuances that may be different with the play calling. But like you're saying, like the, the, the bones are there, right? It's the same playbook that they're running. You can't, you can't install a new playbook at this point of the season for a quarterback who hasn't had any first team reps, right? It's just not possible. Yeah. So they're running with the same playbook. It's just a matter of him being able to hit those different looks. So I'm 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 in total agreement with that, and I think that that's a very fair and valid point. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, you got to give credit to Purdy, right? The thing that I've said about Brock Purdy, look, those looks that he's been getting, he's been getting open receivers. That's not, I but I can't slight Purdy for him being able to throw to open receivers. I don't think that that's mm-hmm. something that you can really say is his fault. And also in the past, we've seen how 49er fans have complained because quarterbacks can't hit open receivers. Purdy is currently doing that at a high level. I haven't seen many errant throws on open plays. Uh, and that's a testament to him understanding his incapabilities, but also a testament for his poise. That's a word that you'll hear a lot with Purdy, his poise. You talked about that free rusher play. That's straight up poise. You need to be able to understand you might be able, you might be taking a huge hit, but you also got to understand your awareness, the situational awareness. That's something he's really good at with pocket presence, being able to evade that play, and then even trying to make a play out of it after that. There's certain things about Purdy that you have to you have to tip your cap uh, tip your cap to even if you don't want to. Yeah, and I, and I feel like the uh, 
obviously he had that interception. That was not his fault. Juwan Jennings batted it yeah. right, to, right to the defender. And that drives me crazy because the drop rate has been pretty high for the, the 49ers receivers. Although of late, it's been much better during the win streak. But before that, it was it was amongst the, the yeah, high it was high. So it was it was not good. But that being said, like he he's still putting the ball where it needs to be, where it needs to be. And I, I think that when you have it, uh, and I've said this for weeks now, when you have a hot team, a good defense, and a hot quarterback, it's really hard to beat come playoff time. So I'm hoping that they can kind of continue this. They they initially, the, you know, there was that long play to Ray Ray, which was fantastic. I think that he he played the Debo role perfectly on yeah. that on the, on his long touchdown run. Aside from that, in the first half, they had the first drive where they they kind of fizzled out on fourth down, but they were kind of struggling a little bit, and we we hadn't seen that a lot from them, you know, in the first half of this winning streak. And it was that Washington defensive line that was kind of winning the battle up front. The Niners were not able to run the ball well in the first half. They were not able to really get into a rhythm. Do you kind of see teams copying this uh, blueprint of trying to shut down the run, stack the box, and make Brock Purdy beat them going into the playoffs? I think so, and the reason that I think that this could be a potential reason for concern is in the playoffs, when you look at the teams the 49ers are going to face, specifically later on, all the teams have really good defensive lines, top-level defensive lines. The Eagles might have the best, if not for the 49ers. They might have the best or second-best defensive line in the NFL, With especially after adding Robert Quinn. Cowboys have probably the second the runner-up right now for Defensive Player of the Year in Micah Parsons. They've also got some key rotational pieces. Demarcus Lawrence is still there. Dorrance Armstrong has nearly 10 sacks on the year, I believe. They've got good pieces there. And Minnesota has a strong defensive line, too. Zadarius Smith has had a resurgence there. You've got two strong defensive tackles in, I believe, Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson. You've, you've still got pieces there in Daniel Hunter. It's three good defensive lines, and that's just the top three seeds. The other teams as well have good defensive lines. Now, the 49ers haven't necessarily faced very many strong defensive lines this year. When you look at it, the New Orleans Saints could be a team you consider. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs earlier in the year, and then this, uh, the last in the last few games, it was the Miami Dolphins who had a strong defensive line, and now uh, this team here with a strong defensive line. In those games, apart from the Dolphins game, the 49ers haven't run the football that well. That's that's something that you know. The 49ers haven't run the football that well, and sometimes that's left to offensive miscues. In this game, the 49ers scored 17 of their 37 points off of uh, off of better, just good field position because the defense got uh, turnovers or turnover on downs or something, and it ended up being good field position, be your defense or special teams. And so that's where I'm going to uh, have a cause for concern potentially in the playoffs. When teams have strong defensive lines, because our offensive line has sometimes had an inability to move the uh, the line of scrimmage, how are the 49ers going to combat that offensively to score enough to keep with other teams? Their defense can hold them, but are they going to have enough offense? That's my main question, and that's something good that you brought up there. Yeah, I think that they're starting to get into a rhythm with getting George Kittle involved as well. The first half of the season, it was just he was just not getting the ball at all. And I think that you can even argue, even during the win streak, He's only had, I believe, um, counting here, he's only had uh, one, two, three games where he's had over 80 yards receiving. So it, it's been a, you know, he has 713 yards on the on the year, and, um, you know, he has the eight touchdowns. But it's it's almost like it's kind of a footnote just because he hasn't had those monster games besides the, the, the last Washington one. It was his first uh, it was his first 100-yard game of the season, and he had the two touchdowns. So I think that they may be starting to involve him more, and – I think that once you see George Kittle get involved 
more the offense will go with with that as well because he he yeah, brings yeah. so much as a receiver, especially with the ball in his hands after the catch. So it's going to be something interesting to watch, uh, getting him involved. And I, I do have to ask you, like you know, seeing on film, has there what what has the change been to get him more involved the last couple of weeks, specifically against Seattle and and Washington? Yeah, no, I mean, in a way. It's a wake-up for Kyle Shanahan to get George Kittle involved because of the injury to Debo Samuel. When you talk about it, two weeks ago, I believe, um, in the in the Seattle game, yeah, two weeks ago, I thought the 49ers receivers arguably had their worst game of the year. Uh, I think the leading receiver in that game, apart from Kittle, was only 33 yards for Jawan Jennings. There were a couple of drops. Receivers just weren't necessarily getting as open. And so what does that mean? You've got to find a way to get the ball to your best player. The Seahawks defense, not necessarily the strongest. They had Quandre Diggs, obviously, at safety, uh, but not necessarily the strongest over the middle of the field in terms of coverage. That was a benefit for George Kittle, and it was also just the attention that they put towards Christian McCaffrey. I think Christian McCaffrey has really helped unlock other players in this offense, like Brandon Ayuk, like George Kittle. Why? Because when you look at the certain plays, specifically the touchdown that George Kittle had against the Seahawks, what is the concept? They're running McCaffrey and Kittle to the same side. That forces the defense to either account for one player or both. Uh, and really, most most teams will look for the first player that's getting open. McCaffrey mm-hmm. is normally that guy running out of the flat. Defend, uh, defenders cro- like uh, uh, barge up on him, leaving favorable matchups or open matchups for George Kittle. I think that the McCaffrey has really opened up this offense. We can talk about that in a little bit to him specifically, but... As for the last two weeks, I think that that's been a huge reason why the 49ers have uh, had more success because Christian McCaffrey, his uh, his presence has commanded a lot of defenders, and that has helped the offense. That's why, despite him having only 12 receiving yards in this past game, he still had a big impact. I believe in the Seattle game, he had only 30 receiving yards on six catches, but you understand that his impact is much more than what the stats indicate when you look at the film and see how much attention he attracts. I think that's a really good point. And I think that it's more so as they kind of get down to the wire, it's more so being able to have that outlet if they choose to have it, because there were several plays where over the last two weeks where there were just a little dump offs and McCaffrey either got a first down or got close to a first down. And they've really kind of taken advantage of that, that his ability to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. It's something that we've never seen for Kyle Shanahan, at least here uh, with the 49ers. So it's added that, that different dimension. And you mentioned the receivers. So the emergence of Brandon Ayuk has been something that's been really, really nice to see this year. I think we all remember him being in the doghouse a couple of years ago and uh, in the 2020 season and Kyle kind of getting on him and, and Ayuk not really getting the ball. And ever since then, he's been he's kind of turned into a different player. He's had a different mentality. He He's an aggressive blocker in the running game now. He's regularly like flattening cornerbacks. He mixes it up with guys. He's on pace for a thousand yards. So he's got just over 850 yards. So he's got 855 yards uh, this season. So he would have his first thousand yard, first career thousand yard season with 150 yards in the last two games, which I think that I hope that he should be able to get, depending on what happens with the offense and and the the opponents and what Kyle wants to do with resting the team. So I think that with with Debo being gone, you're seeing different guys step up and guys that we expected to step up, like Ayuk, like Kittle, like McCaffrey, and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how they reintegrate Debo as he gets back. As of the recording today, I believe he's he's practicing today. Um, so he is well on his way to returning for the playoffs, but it'll be interesting to see how they, how they distribute the ball. I mean, it's only one ball, right. And they have to be able to get that ball to all their players. It'll be a fun challenge. It'll be fun to see, but I think that 
now when they acquired McCaffrey, now we're seeing that like Kyle Shannon offense where we all talked about like, oh man, it's going to be super hard to stop. Who's going to get the ball? Who's going to be the one that beats you? It's it's now finally coming into form. So they are 8-0 since Christian McCaffrey has, has um, ascended to the starting lineup. Obviously yeah. they had him for that Chiefs game as well. And McCaffrey was not starting in that game, but since he has become the starter, they have, they're undefeated. And can we kind of like, can you kind of take me through that and take me through like the impact that McCaffrey has had, not only by catching the ball, but, but again, you kind of touched on by, by just being on the field. Yeah, no, there are several reasons about two weeks ago, I put it out an article that despite being here for only six weeks, Christian McCaffrey has been the MVP for the offense this year. He's the main catalyst behind this eight game winning streak. Brock Purdy has done. uh, He's definitely looked to elevate this offense as well with his play, but this real, the winning streak, the increase in points, yards, everything started when Christian McCaffrey was uh, ascended into the starting lineup in week, I believe week eight against the Los Angeles Rams. Now just talking statistically, McCaffrey, provides you two different elements that the 49ers haven't had. He provides you a weapon in the in the passing game as a back, but he also provides you the ability to run both inside and outside with his skill set, his elusive skill set where he's physical enough to take the take the hits inside the tackles but also elusive enough where he can get to the outside with the speed and make plays there. And so that provides you multiple dimensions. That's why I was super excited when the McCaffrey trade went down. That's why I thought it was actually a slam dunk, despite the capital, not only for uh, the capital reasons, but also because, guess what? You now have two running backs in your offense, Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell, who have the inside and outside capability. That wasn't something the 49ers had all year, which was why before that time, the 49ers, after Trey Lance went down, were rushing for just 3.8 yards per carry, and apart from chunk plays, were really struggling in inefficiency in the run game. They were 26th in DBOA, 29th in yards per uh, yards per carry, and certain metrics like that, they were they were really low. And so you needed that spark. You needed more versatility in your offense because it was too uh, it was too one dimensional. And that's why teams stacked the box 26% of the time when Jeff Wilson was there, because they said, guess what? You're running inside the tackles. We know that because Wilson didn't have the speed to the outside. So we're just going to stack it and force you to grit it out. And so that really caused some offensive inefficiencies to start. When McCaffrey comes, so you see the offense automatically change. You see the outside, you see the inside. And it was really good in that one game when we had Elijah Mitchell before his injury. Mitchell was running very efficiently. McCaffrey was running efficiently. And unfortunately, Mitchell went down with another uh, MCL sprain expected back for the playoffs. But you saw the glimpse of what the 49ers offense could be, and you still see it with Jordan Mason. Now, Talking on the film specifically about the receiving part, because I thought McCaffrey's biggest asset was his ability in the receiving game, even more than him as a rusher. McCaffrey moves defenders and he creates favorable matchups. Why? Because now you have five guys on the field that are going to be attached to a certain defender. You're not going to, the, the, you know, teams normally play cover two, cover three, maybe cover one, but they normally have an overhang safety, which means at least one linebacker is going to be on one of those five guys, be it on George Kittle, the tight end, or a safety on George Kittle, or be it on Christian McCaffrey. And so with the route combinations, like you like you mentioned, the high, medium, low that Kyle Shanahan likes to run, it creates diversions. It creates favorable matchups. And so you know it makes it super easy for the quarterback because you understand pre-snap and post-snap which player to identify in the route concept to hit and where you can get the best outcome of a play. 
That's why the offense has seen more success because of the attention McCaffrey demands and because it makes it easier for a quarterback to really read the play. play. That's why you saw Garoppolo go through his progressions on a more consistent basis, why the turnover rate decreased, why the touchdown rate increased, why his efficiency increased, and why the 49ers started that eight-game winning streak, and why also Purdy was able to replicate the success and potentially even elevate that level of success when he came on the field. That's the impact Christian McCaffrey has had. That's why he's my offensive MVP. I love that breakdown. I love I love how you just broke that down. I think that uh, this is why we need to have you on the show more, show more man, because yeah, that was that was just really thorough. I like that. I like that a lot. And you know, the, the point about hitting your your second, third, fourth read, I think that that's kind of leading to my next idea where the offensive line has been, for the most part, fantastic this year. And we didn't mm-hmm. expect that because the three interior positions were very, were very much in flux going into the season. And when you lost a, a stalwart like Lincoln Tomlinson, who was just a fantastic player, made his first Pro Bowl last year, and you replace him with Aaron Banks, who was an unknown. You had Jake Brendel, who was an unknown. And now you had the rotation at, at – uh, right guard with with um, Spencer Burford and Daniel Brunskill, right, the platooning there. We didn't know what we'd get out of them. And Mike McGlinchey coming back from injury. It's just there were so many unknowns along the offensive line, and we didn't know how they would perform. And that was kind of like the the main cog in this in this offense and getting it to go. And for the most part, they've held up well. And you regularly see both Garoppolo and and Purdy be able to get to the third or fourth read and. For them to be able to do that is huge because a lot of the times that is the read that's open and that is the read that is the matchup, right? And they're able mm-hmm. to hit that. And I think that that's been one of the biggest changes this year is that the offensive line has been so much better. No, definitely. I, I think that's fair. And I think that that's important. Back going, backtracking all the way to training camp, I remember there was a disparity between some of the media members and some fans. Media, myself included, who watched training camp understood this offensive line might go through some ups and downs, but this offensive line is going to be way better than what fans expected. Fans thought, no Lakin Tomlinson, no Alex Mack. You lose two potential pro bowlers, and you might be you might be down. And it's I'm not saying that Spencer Burford, Aaron Banks, and Jake Brendel all had elite training camps by any means, but there was enough shown that you had significant optimism about each player that they could replicate, not necessarily replicate, but at least mimic some of the success that the former guys had while being better in certain areas as well. Tomlinson's number one uh, thing as an offensive lineman was availability. I thought he was... I mean, anyone looks better when they're next to Trent Williams. So that that was a thing. It was clear the 49ers weren't going to bring him back at that at that price range. Max retirement obviously brings in Jake Brendel into the fold. And it's important to understand that they also went through the adversity. Brendel had never snapped to Jimmy Garoppolo before week three. And now you see that the, the sides are clicking. You still have the rotation at right guard. But overall, this team has done well. And it's done well in the phase that, team, uh, that, the, uh, that many didn't expect. Pass protection. It's been better in pass protection potentially than run blocking. The 49ers have done been one of the better pass protecting teams in the NFL. I think they're a top 15 offensive line, potentially fringe top 10 offensive line this year for sure. And I think that pass protection has been a huge part. A lot of people like to pick on players like Mike McGlinchey. But when you when when you really delve into the film, you understand McGlinchey hasn't necessarily been bad, especially as of late. He's had a couple of straight good straight good games. It's just he falters in key moments. He had two false start penalties in this game in the red zone. He falters in key moments, and that brings the, the confidence is a big thing, and that really alters a fan's perspective of a player like Mike McGlinchey. But overall, the 49ers offensive line has done their job. One thing I will say 
it's clear though in the running game where they prefer. They like to run it to the left side. They experience mm-hmm. much more success when running to the left side. Obviously, Trent Williams is there, but they like the matchup that they have with the left side, be it with Aaron Banks there or be it with the pulling guard. It's it's clear they they favor that side as opposed to the right side, which is interesting given Mike McGlinchey's reputation as a pretty better, a pretty solid run blocker. Yeah, and I think that might be just more of a reflection of the fact that Trent Williams is a, is a first ballot Hall of Fame left tackle more than anything, right? The fact that he's he's just a road grader over there. But I think that uh, those are all all really valid points, and and I'm glad that you brought up the fact that you saw kind of saw this during training camp. And I think that like what happens is that when we get to cover camp and things like that, there's things that we see that that the the general public may not and when we put stuff out content out that's based off of those observations, people may be like, Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. But then there's, there's things that, that the seeds are planted at that time. And there's a lot of stuff that kind of comes to fruition as the season goes on. So I'm glad that, that this is something that we've been able to, to kind of bring to the people and say, Hey, like this was actually kind of in the works. This was something that, that we knew was going to, was going to happen. So um, now, now that being said, I think going back to last year's championship game, uh, against against the Rams of I believe the last seven plays, Jimmy Garoppolo was pressured heavily on all of them, including mm-hmm. the interception that essentially sealed the game. So, and while you know a lot of that is on him as well to get rid of the ball and, and to be able to find open receivers, when when you're giving up that much pressure at the end of a game, it happened in the Super Bowl as well, where the, the offensive line failed at the worst time against right. the Chiefs. So I, I I don't see that happening this year for a couple of reasons, just because I feel like Kyle has learned. And Purdy is much more mobile. He's able to get away from pressure. He's not just going to be a statue in the pocket. Uh, I think that Jimmy lost a lot of that mobility after the ACL injury, and he was not the same player. So I think that, you know, as we kind of wrap up these, this uh, the offensive side of the ball, what they wanted out of potentially like Mac Jones when they were looking at him and what they wanted out of Trey and what they wanted out of Jimmy is, is a lot of what Purdy is doing now, making smart right. decisions getting rid of the ball quickly, being decisive with the ball and keeping it away from trouble. And and all of those things, we, we haven't had that here since Kyle's been coach, right? So it's exactly. refreshing to see. I, I, I say every game like that I'm waiting that Jimmy starts and I'm waiting for the, oh no, Jimmy play where mm-hmm. he throws it to a defender and it may or may not be caught. Every game he had one of those plays, you just don't see that with Brock Purdy. And I think that he's wise beyond his years and it's super, super impressive and it's, the offense as a whole has been has been a very pleasant surprise. So um, I'm hoping that continues going forward and everybody stays healthy. I will say that the the number one goal right now should be to keep Brock Purdy healthy because if Brock Purdy goes down, the season's going. You don't, you don't trust John Johnson. You don't trust Josh Johnson. Come on, man. Thirty five year old Josh Johnson who hasn't started the game in I don't know how many <sighs> years, man. I just I can't I can't like it's just it's it's over at that point. So they have to keep him healthy. I think that the game plan for the next couple of games going into the playoffs will be, I don't think that Kyle will rest his guys because they have a shot at the two seed, but right. I think the game plan will be just get the ball out of Brock's hands. He will don't, don't let him take any hits, get the ball out of his hands. Guys get open and, and a lot of run after the catch. Mm-hmm. No, I, I expect a run dominant kind of performance against the Raiders, especially without Chandler Jones and Denzel Perryman, their leading tackler at middle linebacker. I do expect more of a run, a run heavy approach against them, especially with the way that their team is playing thus far. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree. I think that the, the the one thing that I will say here is that it's nice to know that they can throw the ball 37 times and still win like they did against right. Miami. And that was Brock Purdy's first 
that was his first real extended action, right? And I think that that's a huge confidence booster to know that they can do that. And you're you're going up against a shell of a Raiders team right now, right? And we'll get into to that in a second. But uh, I, I do want to give the flowers, uh, my flowers to the defense as well. Another fantastic performance, as Brian Rennick says, the NC seventeen defense. They gave up twenty points, but a lot of that, that a lot of that yardage happened in garbage time. The last touchdown happened in garbage time. So um, NC seventeen, as as we've come to know, no chance you're scoring more than seventeen. So um, I think that this is one of the the small concerns that Kyle kind of shared this week uh, in his presser was that the back end of the secondary gave up a couple of big plays when, especially yeah. when Mooney went out. And they were susceptible to that, uh, the third and long plays as well. So those two areas, I feel like they were struggling a little bit against against Taylor Heineke and, and subsequently Carson, Carson Wentz. And I feel like that's kind of a room, uh, an area that they can improve on. What, what areas do you feel like the defense can improve on? Yeah, no, I think that that's a main uh, area, specifically in this past game. The one difference between this game and previous games with the 49ers defense, their safeties had been, I mean, their secondary had been doing a good job in eliminating explosives. That's the reason that they hired, or not hired, but signed Traverius Ward, so they could play more man defense, play more cover two shells, play more where they could limit the explosive plays in front of them, keep the ball in front of them, force these shorter gains, and then allow their defensive line to attack on second or third down which forces a third and long or a punt or something like that. I think an area that this team could improve is is that, and that's why one of my areas of concern uh, that I put for the playoffs in my article this past week was Charverius Ward and his health. There's been three or four instances this year where Ward has exited the game for a series of snaps. He's never missed a game, but he's exited the game for a series of snaps, and it's clear what the directive is when Ward is out. Throw exactly to whoever replaces Ward. The Washington Commanders did that this game. Samuel Womack came in, and what do they do? They threw 61-yard pass to Taylor, uh, from Taylor Heineke to Terry McLaurin. Now, was that Womack's fault? No. Deshaun Gibson, uh, the overhang safety, rotated to Talanoa Fungo when he should have remained in a spot and helped on the overhead. But you've got to understand, when Ward goes out, it's not just the play of Ward that leaves. It's the communication that Ward brings. It's the trust that his own teammates have in him. And so that also leaves, and that can lead to these communication uh, miscues. And remember, in the playoffs, it's only one of these plays, two of these plays that really matter. If they get a 60-yard explosive play, they got a touchdown. That's seven points. You might not be able to get those seven points back um, uh, later on. So it's important things like this where the communication is important and things like that, which is why I think it's imperative that Traverius Ward remains healthy for the remainder of the year, not only in between games, but during games, because the 49ers defense is different without him, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think and he, one of the reasons why I feel like he does get nicked up a little bit is because he's not afraid to stick his nose in there and make a tackle. Yeah. He's one of the best tackling corners in the league. And Definitely. I think that that's one of the things that is is special about him but also one of the things that also hurts him a little bit, uh, literally hurts him a little bit because he's not shy to, he's not shying away from contact. So I, and I do want to point out that the last touchdown that, that Washington got, it was after the, the Dre Greenlaw should have that, that, that almost pick yeah. should have been a pick and should have been a pick six because they, they blew the play dead and Kyle tried to challenge it. He couldn't because you can't challenge an incompletion from the other team. So uh, again, uh, the, it's just a case of the officials being the officials, but I think that 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 was a big turnover because that let Washington stay in the game. Whereas right. if you know Dre picks that and takes that the other way, the game is essentially over. So you know it's 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 a little bit the score was a little bit misleading. I feel like they put up a really good performance against a team that's potentially going to be in the playoffs, 
And it's uh, what else can you say? Uh, Nick Bosa, I, I feel like he's taken the Nick Bosa has, in my opinion, has taken the pole position for defensive player of the year. He has taken that from Mike Par- Micah Parsons. He has been fantastic. He is approaching the team record for sacks set by Alden Smith. He is approaching the NFL record for sacks. If he can get five and a half in the last two games, which is a stretch, but he has been fantastic this year. His best year as a pro, and he has just been lights out. He's the defensive MVP. You could argue that he is the team MVP as well. No, definitely. It's funny because I look at the pressure charts and I count the pressures myself every game, and it's just like you just think five pressures a game is just normal for a guy like Nick Bosa, which is insane. He got eight pressures this past game. want to give a shout-out to four defenders specifically. Bosa, obviously, the two-sack, eight-pressure game, led the, led, led the team. But other guys like Ark Armstead – Ark Armstead does a phenomenal job. Sometimes it doesn't even show up on the pressure sheet because obviously he takes two defenders and it leaves one open to go after the quarterback. But this game, even with the double teams that he commanded, seven pressures, and then Charles O'Menehue had five. This is a quiet breakout season for Charles O'Menehue, who I think is his fourth or fifth game this year with five pressures. A huge, he's just been very vital. He leads, not leads, but he's top 10 in the NFL in pass rush win rate this year. That's how impressive he's been. And that only improved. He had a 30% pass rush win rate. His normal, his season uh, ranking is 21.9%. So he's been phenomenal for the 49ers. You've got not one, but three different pass rushers that can impact the game on top of the depth. We saw Jordan Willis make plays. We've seen guys like Drake Jackson, uh, Kevin Givens, Kerry Hyder. We can name players that make plays. There have been games where all nine defensive linemen for the 49ers have got a pressure, but those guys have been phenomenal. The last guy I want to give uh, a shout out to Fred Warner, eight run stops in a single game, 12 tackles in the running game, eight stops in a single game. Normally that's Drake Greenlaw. Uh, This time though, Warner stuck his nose in there. Got did a phenomenal job in the run game against one of the better run defenses or run offenses as of late in the Washington Commanders. Yeah, and to to that point about Fred Warner, so the the goal line stand at the beginning of the game. So that that play, uh, there's one guy that that you didn't mention actually that I do want to give a shout out to as well, Javon Kinlaw. And on that play, Javon Kinlaw actually took a couple of defenders and opened up a gap for Fred Warner to be able to to get that run stop. And I think that now with Kinlaw getting more reps and actually getting back in there. You have a, a true run-stuffing defensive tackle or a guy that can occupy space to let these linebackers roam around a little bit. And the fact that the 49ers can roll out two separate defensive lines that have, like you said, legitimate pass rush threats is such a huge advantage because you're not just relying on Nick Bosa on your first unit there. You you can rotate guys in and you're still getting ridiculous pressure rates. So, again, I, I've been saying this all season, and, I, and I'm sad that these are the last few games that we're going to see D'Amico Ryan's coach this defense. But it's been an absolute like awesome. It's been an awesome ride. It's yeah. been awesome to see how they flourished under him. Yeah, no. I, let's hope. Let's hope D'Amico stays one more year. <laughs> Doubt it's happening. We can only hope. But uh, yeah, he's he's earned his way to probably a head coaching job of his choice. He's one of the top coordinators out there. Great, great. Yeah. I mean, going from Sala to Ryan's, it's been a, a nice couple of years for 49ers fans with their defense. Yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic. And I think that the job that, you know, not only that they've been able to do, but John Lynch, Adam Peters, that they've mm-hmm. been able to, and Martin Mayhew before he left, like they they have done a fantastic job of drafting players, developing them, free agent signings. Like 
Sean Gibson was was signed off off the street. No, he's on. He's on with two weeks right? left to start the year. Yeah, exactly right. And he's been fantastic. And people forget that the, that same number two defense that Jimmy carved up in 2017 that that famous Jacksonville defense that they had with Jalen Ramsey and and Calais Campbell and all those guys. Sean Gibson was the safety. He he was the safety on yeah. that defense, and he was fantastic that year. So. I feel like, you know, Jimmy Ward has settled into his role in his slot as well now, and, and he famously said oh, that he doesn't great. like playing the yeah. slot. He's been fantastic in the slot. We thought that there would be a big drop-off after K1 Williams left, and it's just the next-man-up mentality for this defense, and they are the best defense in the league, in my opinion. This is the best 49ers defense that I have seen ever in my time of watching the team, and this is a championship-level defense, and it is a defense that nobody wants to play in the playoff. And it is a defense that the Raiders and Derek Carr ended up ta- basically tapping out against. Derek Carr, For if, you, if you've been living under a rock, Derek Carr is not going to be playing this weekend. He will be sitting out the last two games of the season. So Jarrett Stidham is going to be the quarterback for the Raiders. Yeah. First career start, he is, he is in for an absolute ride because this 49ers team still has a lot to play for. They're not sitting. They can still get that number two seed. So what, what are your thoughts on this on this potential matchup here? Yeah, I mean, there was a little excitement maybe going into the year New Year's New Year's Day, Allegiant Stadium. That that obviously Vegas, one of the bigger bigger uh brand name teams, but that excitement has died down a little bit. Denzel Perryman, like I said earlier, their leading tackler, a pro bowler last year, out on top of that, Cherylin Jones out. And so those two guys, two of their uh better defenders are out. Derek Carr obviously out, meaning Jarek Stidham will play a move where Las Vegas is clearly thinking about their future. I wonder if there's any other moves that they, that we see uh, sometime soon, but a lot of defenders out. Uh, I mean, a lot of players out for the Raiders and this is a 49ers team that could be getting a little healthier going forward. Uh, Debo Samuel, like we said, returned to practice earlier today. Don't expect him to play this week, maybe next week, uh, depending obviously on the playoff seating, but Seems like a favorable matchup for the 49ers. The odds makers clearly uh, reflect that as well. The line jumped three points. 49ers favored by nine points in this uh, New Year's Eve day or New Year's Day uh, game. You, would you take the over on that? Ooh, that, that'd be tough. I, yeah. I probably would if we'd be honest, but yeah, yeah that, that'd be that'd be interesting. Nine, nine points. I probably would though. Yeah, I think that the the challenge last week that they had with the commanders is that the, the, the commanders were number one in the league in time of possession. So we knew that it would be a shortened game and that the, the offense would have limited opportunities. I think that this, this week, Josh Jacobs is really the, the, the biggest threat for them. Devontae Adams obviously is there, but there's no, there's nothing that says that Stidham can actually get him the ball. So I feel like it's going to be a very run heavy sort of game plan from the Raiders standpoint. And the Niners are the number one run defense in the league. So it's playing to their strength. And on top of that, is is I can't I can't recall is Givens playing this week? I believe he was practicing. Is he going to play this week or no? It's probably he'll probably end up with a questionable designation. I don't know if he'll end up playing either. But regardless, it sees it seems like the 49ers somehow this run defense is something else. Like mm-hmm. we face every single week, there's some challenge that they face. And Josh Jacobs has had a phenomenal year, a Pro mm-hmm. Bowl level year. But 49ers, every time they face some team, regardless of who's playing. 
they're able to shut down the run. It's a it's a testament to D'Amico Ryan's and his ability uh, to to create a game plan that just has their his players fitting uh, gaps well, and also the players itself for stepping up. Because you got guys like Ty McGill, you've got guys like Keem Spence playing snaps in some of these games, and the 49ers being able to shut down the run to two, three, four yards per carry at the maximum. Yeah, T.Y. Miguel, I'm glad you mentioned his name. He's been fantastic in the run game. Yeah. That's been yeah. a really, that's been a gem for sure. And I think that he's cemented his position on this team going forward as well because he's had a fantastic year that's totally, totally under the radar. So, okay, this is the point of the show that we usually like to give our picks. And um, I, I, Brian has picked the 49ers every week this year so far. So I will do Brian's pick. I'm, I'm going to assume that he will pick the 49ers to win, right? And I'm assuming that he would pick a score of probably 28 to 17 because he says that this defense does not give up more than 17 points. So Brian is going to pick the, the 49ers. Al, who is the resident wet blanket of our group, the, the, the realist, the person that is, is – always like is there to say hey you guys are are dreaming too hard i think that al would probably pick the 49ers as well and yeah i i don't know what score he would say but i think he would probably pick the 49ers what about you man like who who, who do you think wins this game yeah i'll probably be more on al's side i think initially i gave the 49ers an 11 and 6 or a 12 and 5 uh record like the day the record came out um I, I gotta go though with the 49ers this game, especially with the circumstances. I still I see them as as crazy as it sounds, ending the year on a 10-game winning streak this week and next week. We'll get to next week next week. But I think the score prediction that I gave was 31 to 10. I think uh I, I don't I don't see Las Vegas just having enough offense, uh offensive uh firepower really. I mean, you've got uh obviously Devontae Adams, but Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller have taken steps back respectively. Um, be it via injury or play, uh, Jarrett Stidham, obviously an unknown, a guy who has been lauded for his arm talent, but nothing else. That's, that's the reason he's kind of flamed out in certain places. Accuracy has been a little all, all over the place, uh, when he's, when he's had starting opportunities. And so to me, I don't think the Vegas, uh, offense can get enough and their defense is not good. So 31 to 10. Okay. So I'm going to go with the Niners as well. And it's kind of scary to me because I've been saying for a few weeks now that like, it's hard to win 10 games in a row in the NFL. It's, it's even right. harder to win 14, right? Which is what it would take for them to win a Super Bowl. But you could argue that the playoffs is a reset. So that's like a new winning streak and that's a new whole, whole new season. Right. But I'm with you. I can see them winning both of these last two games, unless Minnesota's already wrapped up the two seed in last week. And at that point, you're, you're playing Josh Johnson at that point and it doesn't matter and, and you're just sitting all your starters, but they still, they can still catch Minnesota. So Minnesota is playing against green Bay and, and Chicago right. in the last two, two games of the season. I, I can't remember which one of those is which if it's flip flop. I think, yeah, green Bay is this week, Chicago next week. Yeah. And that's, that's in green Bay as well. So, and green Bay is still fighting for the playoffs. So that's going to be an interesting game. If Minnesota loses and the Niners can win, they'll, they'll overtake them obviously as the number two seed. And then, at the end of the at the end of the year, if the Niners can can win that game against the Cardinals, basically they, they end up at the, as the number two seed, which is huge. But I I think that they win this week. I think it's going to be a twenty eight to thirteen game. Jared Stidham is going to be under fire all day, and it's going to be right. interesting to see what kind of game plan Josh McDaniels come. He's he's a good offense coordinator, terrible head coach. That's that's really what he is, and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what he does against this defense because it's really hard to operate an offense if you are going up against an elite pass rush. So I'm going to say the Niners win. 
Um, and I'm going to say that Brock Purdy has another decent game. He may, he may or may not throw a pick, but I feel like it'll be another building block game for him as we kind of go towards the playoffs here. And I'm going to say that the Vikings lose too. Damn it. I'm going to say that. The Niners okay. Take, I'm going to say the Niners take the number two seed this weekend. The Vikings are going to lose. The Niners are going to win. And then we'll be, we'll be good set going into the last week of the season. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the dream for 49ers fans for obviously the win and the loss. Like you said, I, I think they're going to, I don't think they rest their starters. I don't think there's that scenario because I expect the 49ers to win. And if they win, they've got a chance still at the two seed. Obviously, it would require some magic with the Vikings, but I expect them to win this week, like we said. And then either it's going to be week 17 where that uh, potential uh, playoff implication matters or week 18, if depending on how the Vikings do. The one seed is somehow still in play. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I think... uh, I don't know if he'll return this week. It, I think he won't practice is what I heard no. earlier today, but he could return in week 18. If they lose their last two, the 49ers went out. The 49ers make the playoffs, albeit the Eagles are playing the Saints this week. We'll see how that goes. A lot of playoff implication stuff. Wouldn't that be something? The Niners end up with the number one seed, somehow end up with the number one seed after the way the season has gone. So oh, man, man. I, I, it's it's exciting times and it's fun. It's really fun to see them win like this and it's fun to cover them. And it's fun to create content on a, on a winning team because for so many years, at least for myself, they were losing and you had to create content and find things to talk about for a terrible team. And it's nice to see them for the third year under Kyle Shanahan make the playoffs and hopefully go into a deep playoff run. So as we got to get out of here, Rohan, why don't you tell people where to find you on, on Twitter and, and where to find the podcast? Yeah, so for those of you guys that can see my name on the screen, uh, search that up on Twitter or on YouTube. That's where you'll find my Twitter account and my podcast, Rohan Chakravarti. And then obviously you can, guys can find my work at 49ers Web Zone. Uh, I'll write articles there, pieces on the week, pieces on certain players, all sorts of different things. But once again, Zane, got to appreciate you for having me on the No Huddle Podcast. Uh, it's been a it's been a blast and uh, definitely enjoyed chopping it up with you. Thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. And hey, come back anytime you want, okay? Well, let's do this again. Yeah, no, nah, definitely. <laughs> All right. So for Rohan, this is Zane uh, with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast presented on the Odyssey Network. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.